It's Romans 5, verses 1 and 2, and I'll be reading from the New King James Version this morning. Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom also we have access by faith into this grace in which we stand and rejoice in hope of the glory of God. And let's pray once again. Dear Heavenly Fathers, we come before Your Word. Father, what we know not, teach us. What we have not, give us. And who we are not, make us. For Christ's sake and in His name I pray. Amen. Therefore, in light of what's been said, let me just take a few minutes. Let's, 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 let's hit the basics of, of the first little bit. Let, let us remember what the Apostle Paul had been teaching and establishing in the first four chapters of the book of Romans. Remember, the Apostle Paul had been presenting the truth that all have sinned and that all have fallen short of the glory of God, both Jew and Gentile. And that apart from receiving by faith the gospel of Jesus Christ, both Jew and Gentile are sinful and under the wrath and condemnation of God. There is no partiality. Every mouth stopped. All the world guilty before God. And this declaration that, that Paul has been making allows no exceptions, no exemptions. Every, every unbelieving person, whether Jew or Gentile, is under the law, and all the world is guilty before Him. There is no salvation, no justification provided by the law. Then Paul gave good news in Romans 3, let's read that, uh, three, uh, verse 21 and 22. But now, the righteousness of God apart from the law. Because remember, that there is no salvation, there is no justification provided by the law. But now, the righteousness of God apart from the law is revealed. Let me pause again. Revealed how? Or revealed through who? Jesus Christ being witnessed by the law and the prophets, even the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ to all and on all who believe. Who are the justified? Those through faith believe the gospel of Jesus Christ. Justification by faith alone, in Christ alone, not of works. And and again, this was all <laughs> very hard for the Jews to hear, wasn't it? Because they were law keepers. And they thought that by their keeping, or their trying to keep the law, because no one could, but by their trying to keep the law, that they would earn or gain justification before God. But Paul would go on to say this in Romans 4, verse 5. To him who does not work, and, and again, this is talking about does not work to obtain their salvation, to gain, to earn salvation. 
because once we have received grace through by grace through faith, we we are created in Christ for good works. So never forget that. But our works never, never plays a part in our justification. But to him who does not work, and again, working to obtain salvation, but believes on him, the Lord, who justifies the ungodly, his faith is accounted, is reckoned, is imputed, is credited, you see, for righteousness. God justifies the ungodly through faith, by grace, by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. So, in the first four chapters, Paul presents the gospel. Can we say that? As both an offer of salvation to the unbelievers and also as an explanation of the nature of salvation for those who have believed and have been justified. Now, I, I got that. I think that was James Boyce. I was reading uh, from his commentary, and I thought that that's, that's true. Because those first four chapters, unbelievers and believers can both read that and gain by grace through faith. For for the unbeliever, they're going to see that they're under condemnation. For the believer, they can look back and see where they were. And by the grace of God, where they are now. Then, in verse 1 of chapter 5, let's put that up. Then, we begin a new new start or a new portion of Romans. Therefore, having been justified by faith, So, let me ask this. Who is this talking to specifically? Believers. Those who have been justified by faith. Unbelievers can read this, but they cannot claim any of the benefits, any of the blessings, anything from this verse 1, I believe through chapter 8. These chapters are for believers that they might know and understand. Therefore, in your identity in Christ, those who have been born again, justified, those who have been justified by grace through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. And the only way to peace with God is through faith in the gospel of Jesus Christ. No other way to God the Father than through Christ. He is the way, the truth, and the life. No other way. So through Christ, we who have been justified have been reconciled to God. We have been brought into that relationship of peace. We have peace with God. Having been justified by faith, a declarative statement, have been and now are saved from the wrath of God which will one day fall upon all unbelievers. uh, Romans 5 verse 9. Much more then, Having now, and again, this having now, this is talking to the to the justified, to the believers, having now been justified by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath through him. That the only one saved from wrath through Christ is those who are justified. And that's why I'm saying this is speaking to the believers. Now the, the unbeliever can still read that and go, Well, am I justified? And then we pray by the grace of God and by the 
working and moving in the Holy Spirit and by the truth of God's Word, He would draw them to Himself. Much more then, having now been justified by His blood, what can wash away my sins? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. We just sang. We shall be saved from wrath. You see, now no longer enemies of God, but joint heirs with Christ. We've been adopted as sons and daughters of God the Father. And we can have fellowship in Him knowing that our eternal destiny is secure. So let's read Romans 5, 1 and 2 together one more time. Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom also we have access by faith into this grace in which we stand and rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Now last Sunday we looked at that glorious phrase, we have access. And again, this is only possible through Christ Jesus. He is the one who provided access. When He died upon the cross, what happened to the veil of the temple, torn from top to bottom, we enter now through Christ into the Holy of Holies, into the presence of God through Christ, into this grace by which we stand. You see, we are no longer under law, but for those who are justified, those who are children of God, we are under grace. And don't be afraid to say that. You, know, you may have got into some theological debates. Well, I'm not under law, I'm under grace. Well, now wait a minute. You know what I'm saying? Probably some of you have been there. But don't be afraid to make the statement that Paul makes. We are not under the law anymore for those who have been justified by grace through faith. We are under grace. And Paul will make this much clearer in, in Romans, the sixth chapter. Let's go there and read verses 12 through 14. Therefore, and again, this is talking to the born again. This is talking to the justified. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body, that you should obey it in its lusts. And do not present your members... And, and what it's talking about there as members, that's, that's your hands, your feet, your eyes, your mouth, the members of your body. And do not present your members as instruments of unrighteousness to sin, but present yourselves to God as being alive from the dead and your members, your hands, your feet, your, your eyes, your ears, but your members as instruments of righteousness to God. For sin shall not have dominion over you, shall not rule and reign, you see, because Christ has died. He has taken your sins to the cross. Our sins have been covered by the blood of Christ. Sin will not have dominion. For you are not under law, but under what? Grace. That's who we are. Justified, redeemed, children of God. Now, we're yet walking around in these fleshly bodies on this earth. Does sin still play a part? Oh, sure it does. We have been saved from the penalty of sin, but we are still walking around on this earth susceptible to the power of sin. Can I say it that way? 
susceptible to the power of sin, through temptation, through through all the things that we may face. Uh, I want to read a pretty lengthy chunk here from Lloyd-Jones where he was talking about this grace and being uh, uh, no longer under law, but under grace. So, so listen. This is Martin Lloyd-Jones. Whereas formerly we were under law. What that means is that before we believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, before we were justified by faith in Him, before we had this introduction, this entry, this access, God looked upon us in a legal manner. Now now listen to this. He looked on us in a legal manner. We were under law. God did not look upon us as children then, He looked upon us as rebels because we had rebelled against Him. The Apostle proved that abundantly already. There is none righteous, no, not one. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. We are all, he has said in the first chapter, under the wrath of God. God looks at a man in sin that way in a strictly legal manner. But that is no longer the case with the justified. We are no longer under the law. We are under grace. We have entered, Paul has said, into a position of grace. We have had our introduction to God and we stand before Him in an entirely new manner. Do you grasp that? Do you grasp that? Uh, I'm going to pause there because I want to add something to what he has said. Because how true that is. We come in a new manner because we are born again. We are a new creation in Christ. And we stand before Him in an entirely new manner. Holy, blameless, and above reproach. Let's read it in Colossians 1, verses 21 and 22. And you, who once were alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works, yet now He has reconciled. This is talking about those who have been justified. He has reconciled in the body of His flesh, talking of Christ, Him dying upon a cross, in the body of His flesh through death. Why? Why would He do that? To present you, born again believer, child of God, covered by the blood of Christ, so that He may present you holy and blameless and above reproach in His sight. So so that now, when you come before God the Father, you are not clothed in the rags of your sin. You are clothed in a garment of righteousness, not of your own, but of Christ. That's what Christ has done. That's what He's done on our behalf. Now, back back to Lloyd-Jones. God now looks upon us with grace and in a gracious manner. God looks upon us favorably. The sinner has the frown of God upon him. I've not heard that phrasing, but it's true, is it not? The sinner has the frown of God upon him. That is the terrible thing about the position of a sinner God cannot smile upon sin. God frowns upon sin. God hates sin. 
But now that we have had this introduction, this access through Christ, God looks upon us favorably. And He not only accepts us, He delights to receive us, and He delights to bless us. This is the most marvelous thing of all about being a Christian. Our whole relationship with God is different. It has been entirely changed. It is like the case of the man who has spent his whole life outside on the street, outside the great palace. Inside the palace there are endless riches and wealth and a great banquet is being given. He sees the people enjoying themselves, but he is shivering out in the street and he cannot partake. He has no right of entry. He is not not fit to enter and suddenly in a miraculous and marvelous way he is approached and invited to enter and provided with a festal garment (laughs) child of God that was all of us we were on the outside looking in we were clothed in our rags of sin but then Christ came and offered come to me and invited us in and clothed us in, in a robe of righteousness and placed it at the, the marriage supper table, at the table, you see. That's what Christ has done. Suddenly, in a miraculous and marvelous way, He is approached and invited to enter and provided with a festal garment. He is brought in and introduced. And he takes his place and begins to partake of the feast of the riches of God's grace. That is what the apostle is saying. We are standing in grace, he says. We are no longer prisoners at the bar with God as the judge. No, God has become our father and he delights to see us coming to him. He receives us and he loves us. And He is ready and prepared to bless us, to shower His blessings upon us. It is not surprising that the Apostle refers to it as this grace wherein we stand. He never forgets that He owes all to the grace of God. And we, are, and we all need to be reminded of it. All the benefits and the blessings of God that we ever have enjoyed or ever will are utterly and absolutely undeserved. We deserve nothing but punishment. Man deserves nothing at the hands of God save retribution and punishment. Why? Because we rebelled against Him. We are all rebels by nature against God. We have put our will before His, our likes and dislikes before His. We have ignored Him. We have insulted Him. We have forgotten Him. We deserve nothing at the hand of God but punishment and retribution. Therefore, all the blessings we receive and all we ever have received and all we ever shall receive is all of grace. It is in grace we stand, and it is by grace we stand. End quote. (laughs) Wouldn't you have loved to have been sitting in that class with Lloyd-Jones teaching? (laughs) Thank the Lord for recordings. Even back then, you can listen to Lloyd-Jones, and you can read these writings. They were all written down. Thank the Lord. No longer under law, but under grace. Law have purpose. 
Yes, we, we've talked about this many times. The, the, the law revealed our sin, did it not? It, it, it shone a light upon our sin. Paul said it this way in Romans 7, 7. What shall we say then? Is the law sin? Certainly not. On the contrary, I would not have known sin except through the law. For I would not have known covetousness unless the law had said, you shall not covet. See, the law, in Galatians, what Paul said, was our tutor to reveal our sin, to bring us to Christ. See, the law had a purpose to reveal sin, to make sin known. And then Paul said it this way in Romans 5, verse 20. Moreover, the law entered that the offense might abound so that sin would be revealed. You understand that? So that the offense, the sin, may be revealed, be made manifest, that it may abound. But where sin abounded, what? Grace abounded much more. See, now here's where people... (laughs) would say, so, so, okay, so, where where sin abounds, grace abounds much more, so I'll just keep on sinning so that grace can abound all the more. Certainly not. Paul Paul answers Paul answers that. Now, we read from uh, chapter 6 a little bit earlier, for you are not under law but under grace. Uh, to, to which many would say, well, if I'm not under the law uh, and I'm not held to the law, then then I can just keep on sinning. And then, yeah, he answers this, um, Romans 6, verses 15 and 16. What then? Paul knew. Because I'm sure he'd already been hearing all of the different excuses and all of the different things that people were coming to him. Well, Paul, what about this? I can do this and this because you're saying this. And Paul shoots down every one of their excuses. So what then? Shall we sin because we are not under law but under grace? I can almost... That's what you're thinking. You know, that's what you're sitting there thinking right now. Can, can we... Can, can I just keep on sinning because I'm, I'm not under law? You're saying I'm not under law, I'm under grace. And then there's the, certainly not! Exclamation point. Do you not know that to whom you present yourself slaves to obey, you are that one slaves whom you obey? Whether of sin leading to death or of obedience leading to righteousness. There's only, this is one of those things because there's only two kinds of people in this world. Those who are slaves to sin or those who are slaves to righteousness. One or the other. One or the other. Now let's go a little bit farther. Let's go to Romans 6, 22 and 23. But now, having been set free from sin, and again, who's he talking to? This is the justified. But now, having been, there's that declarative phrasing, having been set free from sin, you have become slaves of God. You have your fruit to holiness and the end, everlasting life. 
or the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. In other words, that, that's not you any longer. Not under sin, under death, but under eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. We as born-again believers have been set free from sin. And, and again, free from the penalty of sin. Not from the power of sin as we yet walk on the face of this planet. And, and let me read, I want to read some of uh, John MacArthur as, as he talks about this specifically. So, quote, Believers will often fall into sin, but their sin is not more powerful than God's grace. Now, did you keep, that's a good statement right there. And for the children of God, we need to hold on to that. Because how many children of God have sinned and go, how can He keep loving me? Am I even a Christian? Believers will often fall into sin, but their sin is not more powerful than God's grace. Grace that is greater than all my sin. Past, present, and future. See, they are the very sins for which Jesus paid the penalty. If no sin a person commits before salvation is too great for Christ's atoning death to cover, is there? Is there sin too great? And then someone is sitting there thinking or wants to say, but there's the blasphemy against the Holy Spirit. There's that one. Well, what is that? That's rejection of the Spirit of God. And that's what that is. That, that's no. That's saying no. I reject the Gospel. I reject that's blasphemy against the Spirit of God. And no one can be saved if that's what they keep saying. That's what that is. Do you understand that? So don't... Yeah. If no sin a person commits before salvation is too great for Christ's atoning death to cover, now listen, surely no sin he commits after salvation is too great to be covered. You get that? If there was no sin too great to be covered while we were yet sinners, is there any sin too great to be covered while we're a child of God? Well, of course not. So grasp onto that child of God. He is our Father if you are truly born again. And again, just, just let me say that that fact does not give the believer a license to sin. And then, okay, John MacArthur goes on to say, who can bring a charge against God's elect? If God sovereignly declares those who believe in His Son to be forever just, who can overturn that verdict? No one. It's a child of God. Get a grasp on who you are in Christ if you are truly born of God, born in the Spirit, born again. Nothing, absolutely nothing, can change that relationship, that verdict that came from God that you are by grace justified. Back to John. What higher court can overrule that divine acquittal? Well, none. 
There is, of course, no higher court and no greater judge. Jesus is the divine judge of all mankind, and He gives His true disciples the unspeakable, comforting promise of John 6, 37. Let's read. All that the Father gives me will come to me, and the one who comes to me I will by no means cast out. It is not so that believers may be free to sin now that their salvation is secured. The very purpose and effect of salvation is to free men from sin, not to free them to sin. Okay, are we getting a a good grip on that? The very purpose and effect of salvation is to free men from sin, not to free men to sin. Having been freed from your sin, you became slaves of righteousness. And we read that earlier in Romans 6.18. We won't read it again. A, A professing Christian who persistently and consistently... Now listen, now listen. A professing Christian who persistently and consistently sins proves that he does not belong to the Lord. As the Apostle John said of certain apostates in the early church, 1 John 2, verse 19... And they went out from us, but they were not of us. Why? Well, you know, I, I remember old brother Brother so and so. He preached for fifteen years down so and so, and then and then he ran off with the with the secretary and and divorced and did all. And he's never he's just gone from the church. Well, what's the evidence if they stay there? In that condition, what's it say? What's it say? Was their salvation real? Was it genuine? No. No. They went out from us because they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. See, the evidence, the evidence that a person is truly born again is that they will persevere to the end. To the end. Now, someone may fall away for a time in disobedience. I I will not disregard that. But if they're truly born again, the Lord will not leave them there. He will leave the ninety and nine. He will go after the one lost sheep that has gone astray and bring them back in as the good shepherd does. He'll not leave you out there. He will discipline you. He will bring you back into the fold. You see, yeah, I was still reading one I And let's just start at the top of it then. They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out that it might be made manifest that none of them were of us. That it might be revealed. That it might be a witness to everybody, evident to all to see they were not born again. Not everyone who says unto me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom. That's what Christ said, Matthew 7. I want to keep going. This is John, quoting from John MacArthur. Later in that epistle, John wrote, 1 John 3, 9 and 10. Now here, I'm going to pause in in this quote from John MacArthur because I want to spend a little time right here. 
because I want us to compare the, the King James, the New King James, and, and the ESV. The, uh, I think the NASB reads as the ESV because there's people who will read perhaps the King James and the New King James and they'll come away with a wrong interpretation of what this means. Because I've talked to people that claim to be born again. Well, isn't it great to know that when we sin, we confess our sins? Well, I don't sin. I don't sin. What? I don't sin. Well, so so you never you never do anything that goes against scripture. What what you 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 never have a a bad thought or oh yeah I do that. Well well that's no. Well what do you call that? Well that's a mistake. I've been in a conversation with somebody, and the reason they do that is because of what it will say uh, here. Let, let's go to First uh, John three verse nine and ten. Again, I want to spend a little bit of time here so that you're not confused when you read this. Whoever has been born of God does not sin. Now, if you just read that and you don't have a proper interpretation of what it's talking about, what are you going to think? Well, wait a minute. I still sin. I must not be born again. I must not be born of God. Do you see what can happen? Whoever has been born of God does not sin, for his seed remains in him, and he cannot sin. What? Have you ever read that? And go, what in the world is this talking about? And he cannot sin because he has been born of God. In this, the children of God and the children of the devil are manifest. That's how you tell the difference between the child of God and the child of the devil. It is revealed, it is made manifest. Whoever does not... Now here you get a picture of what he's talking about. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God. And what's it, what's it meaning when it says practice? Ongoing, persistent way of life. That marks your life and your walk. Practice. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is he who does not love his brother. So that, so we gotta take into account that practice, practice. And, uh, 1 John 3, 7. Little children, let no one deceive you. He who practices Righteousness is righteous just as He is righteous. Now there, we have the practice that goes before the righteousness. We don't have the practice when it went before sin, did we? Did you understand? So now, here's what I want, here's what I want to do. The New King James verse, just for a moment. Whoever has been born of God does not sin, for his seed remains in him. He cannot sin. Now drop down to the ESV. And now, now look, look, look. No one born of God makes a practice of sinning. You see the great difference of understanding. No one born of God makes a practice of sinning for God's... You, you can't. If, if, if the seed of Abraham that of God is in you, that you're born of God, you cannot make it a practice because that's not who you are. 
No one born of God makes a practice of sinning, for God's seed abides in him. He cannot now. Now watch what it's saying. He cannot keep on sinning because he has been born of God. Do we understand? So when you read First John or somebody comes to you and they're, they're talking about this, can, can you give them an interpretation of what it's talking about? It's talking about a practice. A practice of life. If, if they sin and just keep on sinning and there is no repentance, there is no condemnation upon them, there is nothing that they're just happy in their sin, that is not evidence of a born-again believer. They are not practicing righteousness, but rather they are practicing sin. It is made manifest, it is evident that children of God practice righteousness. The children of the devil practice sin. Are we good? I wanted to spend a little bit of time there just because of, well, back early on in my Christianity, this I was, oh my goodness. What 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 is this all about? Okay, so now back to John MacArthur. That the true believer will begin from salvation on a new pattern of righteousness springing from his new nature which hates sin and loves God. He will not be perfect, but his desires will be different and so will his patterns of behavior. I'd say amen, John. For the born-again believer, he will not be perfect, but his desires will be different, and so will his patterns of behavior. Once we are born again, we have been changed. And if there is no change in our behavior, there is no change in the way we, we talk, the way we act, the way we respond, I would say we didn't receive anything. And that we would need to pray and ask the Lord to check our very salvation. All brought by the grace of God. Let's go to Romans 4, verse 16. I know we've read this before, but let's go there. Because we're going to talk uh, the remainder of our time just about grace. Just about grace. And I know we preached a sermon probably a month, six weeks ago that, that dealt the end of the sermon. We dealt with grace, but... But here is, is again in Romans 5, so we're going to look at it just for a moment again. Therefore, it is of faith, why? That it might be according to grace. So that the promise, the promise to Abraham, might be sure to all the seed, not only to those who are under, who are of the law, but also those who are of the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. Now let's go to Hebrews 4, verses 14 through 16. And again, we looked, we've read this last week. Seeing then that we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. You see, our confession of faith, hold on to faith. The Apostle Paul over and over will be saying, fight the good fight of faith, contend for faith. That his message in, in, in book after book was, was those very things. In verse 15, For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but, all, but was in all points tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Come boldly. Talked about it last week. Come boldly, for we now have 
access to come before God, to come before the throne of grace. This grace in which we stand. Now, let's go to Hebrews 13. Hebrews 13, verses 8 and 9. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Aren't you thankful? Aren't you thankful for that? Do not be carried about with various and strange doctrines. Now listen. For it is good that the heart be established by grace. The ESV, the NASB will say strengthened by grace. Not with foods which have not profited those who have been occupied by them or have been devoted by them. It is good that the heart be established, be strengthened by grace. Let's go to the words of the Apostle Paul and the thorn in the flesh. Let's go to 2 Corinthians 12, verses 7 through 10. And lest I should be exalted above measure by the abundance of the revelations. Remember all that the Lord showed the Apostle Paul. And so to keep him humble, to keep him from being exalted above measure in himself, what did the Lord provide for him? A thorn in the flesh. Perhaps you may have such a thing, a thorn in the flesh. And perhaps you have prayed as the Apostle Paul has prayed, Father, please remove this. Whatever it is in your life that you have, remove it. And he hasn't. Now, not to say that he won't, that he won't ever remove it, but we have an example of the Apostle Paul where that thorn in the flesh is there for a purpose and a reason. And perhaps yours is there for a purpose also. And by the will and purposes of God, it is to remain there the remainder of your days on this earth. Have you ever thought about it that way? And so perhaps to ask the Lord, well, Father, then what would you have me learn? while I'm dealing with this, and while I'm in this condition, you see. So back to Paul's writing, and lest I should be exalted above measure by the abundance of the revelation, a thorn in the flesh was given to me, a messenger of Satan to buffet me, lest I be exalted above measure. Concerning this thing, I pleaded with the Lord three times that it might depart from me, and He said, <laughs> My grace is sufficient for you. For my strength is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, Paul says, in light of what the Lord has just told me, therefore, most gladly, I will rather boast in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Therefore, I take pleasure in infirmities and in reproaches and needs and persecutions and distresses for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then I am strong. What's he saying? When he is brought humble before the Lord, in due time the Lord will lift us up. His strength is perfect. Is His grace sufficient for every need? Yes. Yes, 
always. Romans 3, verses 21 through 26. But now the righteousness of God apart from the law is revealed, being witnessed by the law and the prophets, even the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ to all and on all who believe. For there is no difference, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, being justified freely by His grace through the redemption that is in Jesus Christ, whom God set forth as a propitiation by His blood through faith to demonstrate His righteousness. Because of His forbearance, God had passed over the sins that were previously committed to demonstrate at the present time His righteousness, that He might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus Christ. In Jesus. In Christ Jesus. Therefore, having been justified by faith, by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. Second Timothy, first chapter 7 through 10. For God has not given us a spirit of fear. Is there anything in your life at this present time that you got that has you bound up in worry, anxiety? And fear. Well, understand this that is not from God. It's not. He has not given us a spirit of fear. But rather, what has He given us? But of power and of love and of a sound mind. Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord, nor of me, His prisoner, but share with me in the suffering sufferings of the gospel according to the power of God who has saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to His own purpose and grace which was given to us in Christ Jesus before before what? Time began. But now, but has now been revealed by the appearing of our Savior Jesus Christ who has abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. Let's keep reading. Uh, Titus 3, verses 4-7. through But when the kindness and the love of God our Savior toward man appeared, not by works of righteousness which we have done... Let me pause. Is the, is the message of the Apostle Paul consistent letter after letter after letter? Yes. Yes, it is. Well, preacher, you, you keep preaching the same thing over and over and over again. Well, read the Word of God. What, what does it do? It keeps reminding us over and over and over again of the very same things. Well, why would it do that? Because we're prone to forget. We're prone to wonder. And so, Sunday after Sunday, we need to get back to basics. When the kindness and the love of God our Savior toward man appeared, not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to His mercy, He saved us. <laughs> How? Through the washing of regeneration. What, what can wash away my sins? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. And, and renewing of the Holy Spirit whom He poured out on us abundantly through Jesus Christ our Savior. That having been, having been a declarative statement that having been justified by His grace, we should become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. You see, child of God, that's who we are. And if we can get a firm grip on that, every little wind of doctrine, every little trial, every tribulation won't turn our ship upside down. If we know who He is, 
And if we know who we are in Him, that should give us a confidence and a hope and a trust. Colossians 3, 16 and 17. Let the Word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. And whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. Let the Word of Christ dwell in you richly. How is this Bible going to dwell in you richly if it's sitting over in a corner from Sunday afternoon until next Sunday morning? Well, I got stuff memorized. Well, praise the Lord that you do. But if we're going to let this word dwell in us richly, we've got to pick it up and we've got to read it. Amen? That's just the truth of it. That's a challenge for me to take time throughout my day to get into the Word. This is our food. Why would we starve ourselves intentionally by just leaving it off to the side? I've done it. You've done it. Why would we do such a thing? Make a plan. Make a plan. 1 Peter 5, verses 10 and 11. But may the God of all grace, who called us to His eternal glory by Christ Jesus, after you have suffered a little while, perfect, establish, strengthen, and settle you. To Him be the glory and the dominion forever and ever. Amen. Well, we read earlier there that Second Timothy, the gospel according to the power of God who has saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works. Well, I just ask the question: Have you been called? Have you heard the voice of God, if you will, in your soul, in your spirit, calling you, calling you from your sin and disobedience to the light of His glorious grace? Have you been to the throne of grace? Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. We hadn't read it yet today. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourself. It's a gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. By grace you have been saved through faith. Have you been saved? Are you saved from the wrath of God that will one day come upon all unbelievers? Are you saved? By grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, there is no other way than through Christ are you saved. Saved from wrath. Do you believe? Romans 10, verses 9-13. through 13. If you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. For the Scripture says, whoever believes on Him will not be put to shame. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek, for the same Lord over all is rich to all who call upon Him. For whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. To call upon Him by grace through faith. Just a few more verses. 
John 5, verse 24. Jesus said, Most assuredly I say to you, he, he who hears my word and believes in him who sent me has everlasting life and shall not come into judgment but has passed from death into life. You see, that's the same thing that the Apostle Paul will later say, there is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. John 3, verse 36. He who believes in the Son has everlasting life. Here's the flip side. And he who does not believe the Son shall not see life, but rather, you see, but the wrath of God abides on him. Are you saved? Are you saved from wrath? Are you still under the wrath of God, the condemnation? Are you still under law? John 6, verse 47. Most assuredly, I say to you, he believes in me has everlasting life. By grace, through faith, believe and repent. Matthew 4, verse 17. From that time, Jesus began to preach and to say, Repent! For the kingdom of heaven is at hand. In Acts 3, verse 19. Let me ask this before I even read these next couple of verses. Can there be justification without repentance? No. No. That's the, that's the beginning. There must be a brokenness over sin. If no one has ever been brought low in, in light of the, the holiness of God because of their sin, that's, that's where it begins. A brokenness and a humbleness brought low before God because of our sin and in light of His glorious grace and His righteousness. Acts 3.19, Repent therefore and be converted that your sins may be blotted out so that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. You see, that's the appeal. Luke 13.3 I tell you, no, but unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. Don't be among the perishing. There's an old hymn, Rescue the Perishing. All we can do is sow seed. All we can do is share the gospel. Salvation of the Lord. We can't save anybody, but we can sure tell them about the one who can save. Tell them to repent, to believe, to be converted so that their sins might be blotted out, so that there would be times of refreshing that would come from the very presence of God. Don't be among the perishing. John 3.16 For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son. Why? That whoever believes in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we, we give You thanks for Your Word that, that it can give confidence and boldness to Your children that we can look back on our very salvation and see that it was all You. And that we brought nothing of any consequence to the table. 
We had nothing. It was all you. In mercy and grace. That you would open our eyes. That we might see your glory. That we might see our sin. That we might see the cross and the rescue in Jesus Christ. And that you provided faith to believe by your grace. Forgiveness for sin as we repented, as we received Christ, and as we have believed. And Lord, should there be one who is lost, I pray, if they've heard, as they've heard this sermon, Lord, just by your mercy and grace, open their eyes to see truth. Truth that you are God, the one God, the only true God, the God of creation, the God of all things, that there is no other, there is none like you, there is none beside you, everything is beneath you. And Father, help them to see you in your glory, in your righteousness, and as the judge who will judge them. And Father, please open their eyes to see their sin. And that, Father, that You would grant them faith to believe. Pour out mercy and grace upon them. Grant them repentance as they cry out to You. Repenting of sins. Receiving Christ. Believing and turning from their sins and following You. So, Lord, help us. I pray in Christ's name. Amen.